2 Kings chapter 9, beginning with verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. Verse number 1. And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophet and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramathoth Gilead. And when you arrive at the place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, and go in and make him arise from his place from among his friends and take him to the inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it over his head and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have appointed you king over Israel, then open the door and flee and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramathah Gilead, and when he arrived, there was captains of the army setting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured oil on his head and said, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have appointed you king over my people, the land of Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I will cut him off from Ahab of all the males in Israel, both bond and free. Lord, we pray that you would add the blessing to the preaching of the word. And we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said, Amen. Have you ever noticed that there seems to be a, um, a spirit, maybe that's the word I'm looking for, a spirit of oppression that's settled on the minds of believers almost like a black, black cloud, almost like a black garment. It seems as though people say that they're saved and yet we're still weary. We say that we're victorious and we're forgiven of our sin and yet some of us are still tormented over our sin. It seems like we confess the Scriptures that we are healed and yet we're still sick in our physical bodies. We say we believe the Scriptures and we quote the Scriptures and stand on the Scriptures and yet it seems like we still doubt the truth of the Scriptures. It seems as though, like the prophet said, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And sometimes it's not the big things, it is actually the little things. How many would agree with the preacher that you would agree with that? It, it seems as though we do the right thing, but at the same time, the wrong thing continues to show up. And we're not, you're not alone. We all face those situations in our life. We all face those spiritual wildernesses in our life, that, that spiritual emptiness that we feel. And you've got to understand something, that when you feel that way, and when you're walking through that valley, so to speak, you don't change your theology because of your experience. You don't change what you believe because of your experience. And sometimes what happens is when we're going through a difficult time, we have a tendency to change what we believe to make it conducive to our theology <coughs> or vice versa. 
So in other words, you can't change what you believe because of an experience that you've had. You've got to make sure that your belief and your theology is your foundation in spite of how you feel and in spite of what you've been through and in spite of what you're going through. Can I hear an amen? That has to be the foundation. That has to be the strength of your life, your theology, what you believe is your foundation. And that cannot change because of what you are going through. Feelings are fickle. They're here one moment and they're gone. You can't believe everything you think. Can I hear an amen? You can't believe everything you think. You've got to rest upon the rock, which is the Word of God. And that does not change in spite of what you feel or what you're going through. And sometimes as Christians, we want to change our theology, we want to change our belief because our experience is not matching what this says. But sometimes in your journey of faith, you've got to realize that it is a journey of trust. It's a journey of faith. And when you cannot trace His, when you cannot trace God, you've got to trust God. And sometimes we can't trace what God is doing. We can't pinpoint everything that God is doing. And that is why we have to just come to the realization that we have to trust Him when you cannot trace Him. Can I hear an amen? You've got to trust Him even when you can't trace Him. We want to trace Him. We want to find out what God's doing. We become impatient. But you've got to trust Him instead of trying to trace everything that God does. This story that's presented to us this morning is a story of a prophet by the name of, well, actually, he's a servant by the name of Jehu. Everybody shout Jehu. And Jehu is a servant. And the Bible says that Jehu, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, the Bible says that Jehu is in a house and he's with some friends. One translation calls it his associates. He's with his friends. He's with his associates. He's in the house fellowshipping. And the Bible says in 2 Kings, don't lose me, an unnamed prophet, a prophet who don't have a name that's recorded in Scripture. This prophet runs in to where Jehu is, and guess what the prophet does? The prophet goes in to the room, now get this, Jehu's in the living room with his friends, with his associates. Some wild guy, some wild person runs in the house and he says, Sister Beth, he says, where's Jehu? And everybody says, well, Jehu's right here. So guess what the prophet does? The prophet, Pastor David, takes a flask of oil. Now, obviously, this is not oil, this is water. But he takes oil breaks it, and pours it all over Jehu. Just pours it all over. And guess what happens? This unnamed prophet who just shows up from nowhere with some oil, pours it over his head, and the Bible says he leaves. And Jehu is sitting in the room with all of his associates with oil dripping down his beard dripping down his garments, 
And everybody, you can just imagine, everybody's just staring at Jehu. Am I right? They're just staring at Jehu. Now the scripture says that he was taken to a back room. And when he comes out of the back room, they're all asking him, so what happened to you, Jehu? And the Bible says, Jehu said, well, you know how mad people talk. You know, you know, you know, just, he tried to play it off. And Jehu said, well, I don't know what really happened. They just poured oil on my head and this guy poured oil on my head and left. And this story is so perplexing to me because when I read it, I'm like, it's so weird. Here is this man, Jehu, a servant, with a bunch of his friends, a prophet comes in, and the important part of the story I don't want to overlook, he actually takes him to the back room, pours oil on his head, Jehu comes out, everybody's like, why is there oil dripping all over you? What's up? Jehu's tried to play it off like it's no big deal. And I thought about this story. Because if you read the rest of the story, you know the prophet anointed him to be the new king of Israel because the present king was Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And you know what Ahab and Jezebel's doing. They're leading the nation away in rebellion and adultery. And God is anointing a new king by the name of Jehu. He didn't have all the pomp and circumstance around it. He, he was anointed on the spot. Because when God gets ready to do something, He will bypass ceremonies and anoint you on the spot. And so, God anointed Jehu, and the Bible says that Jehu gets on the chariot, and he goes, if you read the rest of the story, he gets on the chariot, and he goes to Jez Jezreel to confront Jezebel and Ahab. Because that's what the anointing does. When there is a true anointing on your life, you will confront the things that's been hindering you. Is anybody hearing me this morning? When there is an anointing on your life, it will confront the things that has been hindering you. And Jehu was anointed, and so he got on the chariot, went to Jezreel, because he's going to confront Jezebel. Now, what does this story have to do with us? Well, the first thing that I want you to see in this story is that Jehu was anointed because that unnamed prophet came in and that prophet took him. And the Bible says in verse number, verse number 1, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophet and said, Get yourself up, take this flask of oil, go to Ramathah Gilead. Now when you arrive, look for Jehu and cause him to arrive, to arise from his, from his friends and take him to the inner room. You see verse 2? Take him to the inner room. The very first thing I want you to see here that Jehu was anointed by this unnamed prophet, but he was anointed in the inner room. Now what is the anointing? The anointing in Scripture represents the power of God. And here Jehu, this servant, is taken to a back room, an inner room, and the prophet pours oil on his head. That tells me that the true anointing of God, the true power of God, 
is only received when you get alone with God in an inner room. Well, that deserved more than a grunt. I said, the power of God and the presence of God is only experienced when you and I is taken to the back room, to the inner room, where it's just you and the Lord. This prophet Jehu was taken to the inner room. You see, Jesus said, when you pray, go to the closet and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret that He may reward you openly. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this prophet received the true anointing only when the prophet took him to the back room, to an inner room. Because the true anointing, the true power of God is not necessarily demonstrated up here where we're all shouting and falling on the floor, and that's good and fine. But a true encounter with the Holy Spirit only happens when you get alone in a closet somewhere and it's just you and the Lord. Can I hear an amen? You see, sometimes we want to bypass that and we want a quick fix and we want somebody to lay hands upon us so that we can experience all that God has for us. There's nothing wrong with that. And there are good times at the altar and there are good times where the Lord ministers to us. But ladies and gentlemen, the Scripture is indicating to you and I that we must take time in the inner room. We must take time in the back room. We must get alone with the Lord. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying this, that some of us is depleted. And the reason you're depleted is not because somebody did something to you or because somebody said something. It's because your prayer life is not where it needs to be. And I know I'm preaching hard here, but if we're not staying in tune with the Lord and we're not praying, it's very easy for us to become critical and it's easy for us to point fingers. It's easiest to find fault because when you are not in the prayer room, then there is no quality time with the Lord. Are you setting time aside to be alone with the Lord? Are you setting time aside to fellowship with the Lord? Or are you so busy that becomes first place in your life. Jehu was taken to an inner room and it was there that the oil was poured on his head. I pray to God that we get a fresh touch of the oil, of the power of God, but it will only happen when you get alone with God. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you really got alone with God? When was the last time you told your spouse and your kids, listen, I just got to get alone. I got to get alone and get with the Master. I got to hear what He's saying. Or are we so busy running around that we haven't had time to fellowship with God? This prophet was anointed in the inner room. And you know what's interesting? The Bible doesn't even give the prophet a name. The Bible says in verse number 1, the Bible says in verse number 1 that it was an unnamed prophet. There is, or verse 2, it, there's not even a name given to this prophet, just a prophet 
went in and anointed. It was one of the sons of Elisha. He just went in and anointed Jehu. Do you know who I believe that unnamed prophet represents? That unnamed prophet represents the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit came in quickly and anointed him and he left quickly. Isn't that just like the Holy Spirit? It reminds me of Acts chapter 2 and suddenly... There was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. The Holy Spirit has a tendency to do things suddenly. And when he does things suddenly, he does it with force. And when he does it with force, he does it with power. The Holy Spirit came in, anointed him, and left. Suddenly, he came in and anointed Jehu. What are you saying, preacher? I am saying that you must take time to develop your relationship with Christ. That's the most important part of your life. That is the most important thing, is your relationship with God. He went to the inner chamber. And you know what? I feel, as I was praying this week, I was feeling, and I, I was praying for this church, and the Spirit said to me, Son, you're not responsible for what people do every day of their life. You can't make people get hungry. You can't make people pray. And you can't make people worship. But the Spirit said this, Son, honestly, as I was praying, the Spirit said, Don't worry about any of that. You're my mouthpiece. You spend time with me, and they'll see that you spend time with me, which will cause thirst in them. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? It, things, things ain't going to change in your life unless God is first. Now, you can get busy and you can do everything you, you want to do, but things will never get busy, things will never get better unless God is number one in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. If He is not first, something else will be first. So if you're not spending time with the Master and you're not developing and cultivating that time every day of the week, you're going to find that seven days without prayer equals one week without prayer. Because you know what prayer does? Prayer causes us to be outward focused while a non-praying life causes you to be inward focused. And it becomes all about you. He was taken to an inner room. You say, well, pastor, I pray to work. You see, you're missing the point. I'm not talking about you praying as you go to work. I'm not talking about you praying five minutes. I'm talking about giving the Lord some quality time. What would you do if your spouse only got a few minutes as you're on your way to work? I'm talking about getting some quality time with the master where you shut away everything else and you shut the door and it's you and him taking care of business and not some of this just high-by business. Can somebody give the brother some love up here? Y'all looking at me, but it's the truth. 
Unless you develop that, you have to, well, it's hard. Well, guess what? A lot of things in life is hard. <laughs> I was praying in California. I got up and uh, I got up on early Monday morning. I was in the, the hotel room and I was, I was praying in the Spirit and praying. And as I was praying, I, uh, I, uh, was telling the Lord how much I loved Him, how much I wanted to please Him. I told the Lord, I said, I, I give you all of my body, soul, and spirit. I give it all to you. Place it in your hands. Use me for your glory. Don't bypass me. Don't overlook me. Use me for your glory. Put all of my faith, trust, and hope in you alone, Jesus. I said, Lord, preserve me. Keep me. Protect me to the end. Don't let me be a preacher that starts out good and ends in failure, ends in disgrace, but keep me, protect me, preserve me to the end. As you told Peter, the enemy desired to sift him, sift him as wheat, but you prayed for him that his faith would fail not. So Master, pray for me that my faith would never fail, that I'd be strong all the way to the very end. And I heard the Spirit say to me, Son, I've tattooed you on the palm of my hand. I said, he said, I, he said, you're going to make it. Although I said, Lord, just keep me, protect me, preserve me. I said, I want to end strong. You see, some of us is praying about everything going on in our life right now, and you forget to pray about your life in general. So I was just saying, Lord, I want to, I want to be a faithful believer who endures to the end. And I heard the Spirit say, Son, I've tattooed you on the palm of my hand. And every time, you're not going to leave me. You're not going to fall out of my hand. You're right there, tattooed. You know what I'm saying? When you get along with God, He reveals His heart to you. It's a shame that some of us haven't prayed and haven't studied the Word, haven't read the Word in months. It's a shame. It's a shame we haven't got along with the Master when His heart beat is for you. And as I was praying, I was, we took 17 people from our church. Teen talent. Sean was staying in my room. and So I told Sean, I said, I, it was fairly early. I said, don't leave the room. I need some time. I need to pray. So as I was praying, the Lord said something else to me. He said, and I laughed. I laughed out loud. <laughs> I was like, he said, son, I was praying in the Spirit, and he said, expect the miraculous. And I laughed and said, yeah, general convention. <laughs> yeah, Expect the miraculous. But he was talking about my life. But he said, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, you are so fearful. And that he said the same thing to me last night as I was praying in the prayer room. He said, I'm, I'm, you're so fearful to believe me for bigger things because you're afraid of what people will say to you. You're so fearful of believing for bigger things because you're afraid of failure. You're so fearful of walking on the water. You're not a water walker. You're still a boat talker. 
And the Spirit says, if you want to see what I want to do in your life and through your life, you're going to have to abandon the fear and walk on faith and know that I'm with you all Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, well, I wish God would speak to me. He can't speak to you. You're too busy. You've got too many irons in the fire. You're always worried about what everybody thinks about you. Eat up with jealousy and pride and eat up with unforgiveness. It's no wonder... You can't hear God's voice. Too much garbage and trash in your life. You watch TV all week and wonder why. Well, I just wonder why worship is so long. Why is everybody just, they just play the same song over and over again. It's probably because you're so full of trash, you don't have time to worship God. You ever thought about that? There's so much junk in your life that you can't hear the voice of God? Now, I'm just doing real preaching this morning. I'm not mad at nobody, believe me. And I'm not pinpointing nobody. This is just preaching. Is that all right? This is just preaching. I'm sharing my heart with you. That we've got to put Him first. He has to be number one. You have to have a prayer closet. You have to have a place where you and God meet. So, Jehu comes out of the back room. And when he gets out of the back room or the inner room, what happens? Everybody's like, well, what's going on here? And Jehu is like, well, you know, some mad person, you know, anointed me with oil. And guess what happens? Everybody in the room begins to shout that Jehu is the new king. Is that right? If you read the story, the Bible says, uh, verse number, look at this, verse number 11, 2 Kings 9, 11. Look at the rest of the story. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master and said to him, is all well? Why did this madman come to you? So everybody in the house thinks there's a madman who ran in and got Jehu and took him to an inner room. He said, why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, well, you know how mad people in their babble, you know how they act. Jehu is trying to, what is he trying to do? Play it off. And then verse 12, and they said, a lie, tell us now. And he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, thus says the Lord, I've anointed you king of Israel. Then each one of them hasted to take their garment put it under them, and they begin to blow trumpets saying Jehu is king. You know what I see in this story? Number one, you've got to get alone in the inner room for the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Number two, when Jehu came out of the room, everybody could recognize that something was different about Jehu, and Jehu tried to play it off. The point of the matter is, number two, when you've been with the Lord you don't have to advertise you've been with the Lord. Everybody will know you've been with the Lord. See that? Nobody 
Jehu didn't come out of the room and say, hey, I've been praying for three hours. He came out of the room and they instantly recognized there was something different about Jehu. Because that's what happens when you're in the inner room and you come out of the inner room. There is a difference about your life. There's a difference about your life. And the Bible says, what happened, Pastor David? They blew trumpets and celebrated that Jehu is the new king. You know what's interesting? Have you, have you ever watched people who are prideful because they got a gift and they want to announce it to the world and what people, you know, the famous saying nowadays among preachers is this, I deserve to be celebrated and not tolerated. You know, you hear that. I don't know whether I agree with that. I don't think that it's up to you to celebrate yourself. <laughs> now, hold on. Jehu comes out. They all know that he's different. They start blowing trumpets. Jehu's the new king. You see, this story demonstrates to us that you need a prayer room. You have to get away with God. But it demonstrates to us that when you've been away and in prayer with God, there will be a difference in your life that other people will notice. But it also demonstrates to us that let people celebrate you and don't celebrate your own gift. Don't celebrate your own appointment. Don't celebrate your own promotion. These people who were in the room celebrated Jehu. You see that? And the Bible says he gets on his chariot. Now I'm going to close with this. One of the things I think is powerful. Jehu gets on his chariot. He's anointed. Can you imagine? There is oil dripping down his beard. There's oil dripping down his garments. He gets on the chariot and he goes to Jezreel. Because who's in Jezreel? Jezebel is in Jezreel and Ahab. He goes to the city and when he gets there, something happens. Y'all, something happens. Verse number 30. Now, if you read the story, he's on there and Jezebel hears that Jehu is coming and Jezebel sends servants out and says, do you come in peace? And basically Jehu is like, I'm not coming in peace. I'm the new king and I'm going to come and I'm going to be the new king. God is going to destroy Jezebel and Ahab. So Je Jehu goes to Jezreel, and this is what happens. And I want to close with this, verse number 30. Now when Jehu, this is 2 Kings chapter 9, verse number 30. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes, adorned her head, and looked through the window. Now, I grew up in the old church, and they called everybody Jezebel that wore makeup. You know what I'm saying? Well, guess what? That's where they get it from right here. So Jezebel puts makeup on. Can you see it? She puts makeup on. She does her eyeliner, puts the blush on. And guess what she does? Jezebel comes to the window, and she looks out the window, and she says, Oh, Jehu. That's what she did. Oh, Jehu. Because... You know what Jezebel's saying? 
I know that he supposedly is the new king, but I'll seduce him with my looks. Basically, I'll get him in the bed. He can't withstand the temptation then. So she puts the makeup on. She looks out the window. Then verse number 31, Then Jehu entered at the gate and said, Is it peace, Imrah, the murder of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? And so there was two eunuchs looked at him. And then verse 33, he said, throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of the blood splattered on the wall on the horses, and they trampled her underfoot. So you see what's happening? Jehu gets to Jezreel. Jezebel paints her face. She looks out the window and says, hey, Jehu. And Jehu looks up at her at the window, and he says, who's on my side? Well, there's two eunuchs standing beside of Jezebel, and they said, we are. Now that's interesting because the eunuchs was there to protect Jezebel. Because when the anointing is on your life, and when you've been to the inner chamber, God will cause your enemies to turn around and be on your side. Can I hear an amen? And so the, the eunuchs all of a sudden said, we're on your side. And so they take Jezebel and throw her out the window. Because when you are in, when you've been with God in the inner room, God will cause things to turn around in your favor without you doing anything. Now hold on, hold on, hold on. And I want to tell you something. The word, listen, don't lose me. I'm about to go. The word anointing, is the Hebrew word means to paint. If you look up the Hebrew word anointing, there are at least three definitions. The first one is to paint. The second one is fatness. The third is oil. One of the definitions of anointing is to paint or to smear. Because when the kings of the Old Testament was anointed, they would pour it on their head and they would actually smear it on their face. Don't lose me. Jezebel gets to the window and she had already painted her face. Je Jehu was already in the inner chamber. He was already anointed with the true anointing and Jezebel is a type of the false anointing. She painted herself with a false anointing. And the true anointing, which is Jehu, can always spot the false anointing, which is Jezebel. When you are anointed like Jehu, you'll be able to spot the false anointing, which is on Jezebel, which painted herself. In other words, hold on, the result of true anointing is discernment. That is how you know you're anointed. When you have and operate in discernment. 
my little children, do not be deceived. For greater one that's in you than he that's in the world. In other words, children, don't walk in deception because you got the anointing on the inside of you and the anointing can detect whether something is true or whether something is false. Jehu is the representation of somebody who is truly anointed that can spot somebody who is operating in a false anointing, which is Jezebel. How? What does the story teach us? It teaches us that you must develop time alone with God. It teaches us that when you do, it will be noticeable to people. But you don't have to toot your own horn. People will celebrate you when God promotes you. It teaches us that the anointing confronts the things in our life. It teaches us that the anointing can discern between what is true and what is false. All because a man, God alone with God, as a result of him getting alone with God, God turned around his enemies and defeated Jezebel. He became the new king of Israel because of one man who decided to get alone with God. What could this church do if we only pray? Be a mighty force, an unstoppable force in this world in Galena, in Joplin. Did you enjoy the preaching of the Word?